0: Hello. So, another week, and we have another new Prime Minister. We at the Confed have congratulated Rishi Sunak on his appointment as new Conservative Party leader and Prime Minister. And let's celebrate the fact that he is the first British Asian person to hold this office. But as we head into what is largely expected to be one of the worst winters for the NHS for decades, his new administration must act quickly and decisively to support both health service and social care staff through the difficult weeks and months ahead. That means taking immediate action to help to mitigate the considerable risks the NHS is facing ahead of winter. The fact that at time of recording and with winter upon us, we still don't know how the £500 million discharge fund is going to be spent does not, I'm afraid, suggest the government fully gets it when it comes to the reality facing NHS leaders in the communities they serve. It's important that in the upcoming fiscal event, we see measures to shield the most vulnerable people and communities from the impact of any cuts or further efficiency savings. Indeed, wouldn't it be good if we could bring the fiscal and growth agenda together? As former Chancellor, the Prime Minister should understand the link between health and wealth. CONFED's recent analysis showed that for every pound invested in the NHS, four pounds comes back in wider economic activity. So as well as delivering for patients, the NHS can and should be viewed as a vital building block for economic growth. We know that our health leader members and their teams will always do all they can to improve efficiency and productivity in the NHS, as well as driving down waiting lists as much as possible, something which the new Prime Minister showed commitment to tackling during his summer leadership campaign. But the new government must recognise that these efforts are being hampered by budgets that have been hit very hard by inflationary pressures. They've already left the NHS facing a £7 billion gap in its budget next year, compared to that set out in last autumn's spending review. We've got new teams in the Department of Health and Social Care, as well as the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, and they're going to need to get their heads around big new briefs as quickly as possible. After months of policy u-turns and blight, we do need to see clear and decisive action. And as we all know, one of the biggest pressures is still workforce. So we've welcomed the continued support for major national advertising campaigns for a career in the NHS. Nursing is the largest profession in the health service with a huge variety of roles and nurses make an incalculable difference to communities they serve every day. We're hearing all the time from our health leader members that they're profoundly concerned that the government has repeatedly failed to invest in the health and social care workforce. We know that the pressures on social care are mounting particularly as rates of pay fall further for social care staff that's why we're desperate to hear how the 500 million pound discharge fund is going to be spent the need for the new prime minister to act to expand the numbers of staff being trained to work in health and social care is now critical and long overdue indeed this should be part of a fully costed workforce plan which we still expect to see before the end of the year Workforce is of course one of the many issues being juggled by leaders of our new integrated care systems. And in this edition of Health on the Line, I have a great conversation with one of those leaders, Sussex's Adam Doyle. New ideas, big debates, meeting the changemakers transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Doyle, who's the CEO of Sussex uh, ICB. Uh, Adam, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you, Matthew. Thank you for having me today.
0: I think it's quite typical of your workload at the moment, Adam, that you're, you are you were slightly late to join us because there was something that cropped up in your system. You've got to go promptly at the end of our conversation because you've got a meeting. I guess things are quite frenetic right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a busy time, isn't it? We've got, um, we've got winter to... To, to work through also to sort of um, make sure that all the ICB things we've put in place since the 1st of July are working um, and also we're planning our five-year strategy so yeah busy but you know exciting lots to do and you know um really really enjoying the role. Uh,
0: just for people who don't know tell us a bit about the characteristics of your ICS. I think it's, it's kind of one of the biggest non- urban one isn't it i mean there's the big ones manchester East, the london ICSs, but you're one of the larger ones outside the kind of con- outside of conurbation aren't you
1: yeah yeah i think we're sort of seventh largest in the country really in terms of population size and um, so you've got just under two million people live in sussex and it's made up really of three identifiable areas really which is East Sussex, West Sussex and Bryson and Hove. And, um, and a lot of people you speak to don't often say they live in Sussex. They they, they sort of more identify to their place and often their town within each place. So we've got a real mixture because obviously we've got um, uh, a significant part of, of, of the coastal strip of the southeast of England. Um, some, some significant areas of rurality and then some urban areas within there, particularly towns like Crawley, towns like Brighton. Um, you can't say Brighton. It's Brighton and Hove. They are two very separate places. I often get reminded about that. So, <laughs> do, so yeah, do so people
0: quite, do people still say Hove? Actually, Adam, that's how uh, people. Uh,
1: that is still a joke. You often hear in a coffee shop. <laughs> yes, Matthew. So um, so yeah. So and you know, it's, it's how people live their lives, isn't it? They sort of identify to where they live. So so yes, we've got areas of high affluence, areas of significant deprivation, um, and 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 quite a lot of hidden. And health inequalities because of course when people look at Sussex they don't often look at it as a as a system that might have significant areas of deprivation and often when you aggregate up the overall population of Sussex it looks to be relatively healthy but of course in those kind of systems I mean you, you have to be really, really careful about making sure you look at where there are areas of hidden deprivation and hidden poor outcomes
0: and um you've heard me I think use this phrase split screen thinking for how we need to try to think about the urgent issues we face informed by the kind of destination we want to go towards the vision that we've got. and, and I want to talk about winter and the pressures uh and obviously you know we're, we're proud that you're a member of our board at confed representing systems and that you speak a lot to your other system leaders so you can talk not just about your own system but what you're hearing from others but before we get into the winter stuff I, i'm interested to know you know when you took the role on adam what what's the kind of big vision that you've got you've get we get through winter you know maybe circumstances become bigger easier who knows maybe we get a government that gives us the investment need. where would you like your system to be in five years what would be the things that would be different about it
1: Okay, so first of all, great question. And you know, I made an active choice to apply to be the Sussex ICB CEO. Um, My history was I was leading all of the CCGs and did quite a bit of a turnaround work with many of our partners to get that system into much better shape. But I made a choice to 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 want to stay, and was really privileged to have secured the role because I do believe the integrated care. I'm a physiotherapist. I worked um, in a lot of deprived communities in my early sort of training. Than when I qualified. And I was frustrated at times by the lack of integration. It's what sort of drew me into management, you know, the the naivety of youth, where you think that actually you can um you can change the world. But but this job does give us the chance to do that. So 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 the exciting part of this job, and the exciting part about integrated care as I see it is you get to work with a vast array of statutory and non-statutory partners. That work across the broad spectrum of public sector services, and and for me that's our vision. Our vision is to is to create health through other people's hard work, ideas, and input. So for so as I see our our, our five year forward plan that we will be pulling together, um, we are describing a plan that is based on resilient communities where we bring together all of the assets that we can bring to bear in a local neighbourhood to support that community and for those communities to support themselves. So you really want to start with what what are the assets the individual has? So what can they draw on? What what are the other organisations around where somebody lives that we can draw on? So that's a real inverted way for how the NHS would work. So we're a partner with all these other people that at times have better ideas than us. So I see the integrated care part, the the integrated care partnership part of my role, all about brokering relationships, pulling people together and, and being very humble about why haven't we changed these things at this point. And seeking support, seeking ideas from people. So for me, that's the that's the really exciting part of the role. Of course, though, we have to recognise the NHS is under pressure. So I've also got a responsibility to make sure that in my own system, all our NHS services are working as well as productively as as as, as value based on our communities as possible. But I see those two things as complementary. I don't see them as two separate things. Um, but but of course, what drew me to the role was bringing everyone together. But but what gives me the license to deliver that is ensuring that every day the NHS is doing the best it can for its community.
0: So, so thinking about that kind of it, it, in the way that you've you you you've described Adam, which is the kind of broader uh, local uh, shift, and then the shifts in the health service. Let those let, let take those in order. So. For me, one of the opportunities of ICS is is a kind of symmetrical proposition. And I've spoken to you about this in the past, and I know that you have enthusiasm for this, which is, on the one hand, help, uh, what's sometimes called health in every policy. How do we work with our partners, particularly in local government, but also in business and third sector, to 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 recognize that only 20% of people's health status depends upon the work of the NHS, and to have an approach which recognizes that the importance of education, of planning, of employment, of welfare, uh, to health. So how do we get our partners to recognise the importance of everything we do in terms of shaping the social determinants of health? And The symmetrical proposition, of course, is, is your fourth mandate as an ICS leader, which is the economic, social, environmental impact of the NHS, the NHS itself being a good local citizens so do you think that kind of symmetrical proposition frames w- what you're trying to do in terms of those be- relationships beyond the health service
1: first of all i think it's really really important to recognize so i think we all recognize and we hear it often don't we? what other things that the nhs can actually do to get to get people's health to be in better shape and, and in many respects it, it, it's quite limited because we're dealing with people in crisis or where they need to have an intervention um but but i think the key part is I think we have to be quite humble as an NHS to recognise the the perspectives of all of the other organisations. So I'm, I met with East Sussex Fire and Rescue last week. I'll be honest with you, they're doing 10,000 um, checks a year, um, safety checks for our community. I don't think we as an NHS are leaning as well into that initiative already. So, And the reason I say that is people are out there doing things and I think we should be connecting ourselves better into that. So therefore, there are things we have to do, though, to recognise what are the features of of ill health and what are the drivers behind that. In Sussex, we've got six. And there are things that people would expect about alcohol consumption, obesity, smoking, the, the things we know about. But I think we've got to get past naming those and saying, so what are the policy things we can do locally and what are the policy things that we can do nationally? And I think ICS leaders have, have a dual role. What is, what, what, what is within my gift in terms of licensing to work with locally, with my locally elected politicians, versus what is my sort of ICS role with my fellow colleagues to say, national bodies, if we don't change this national policy, it therefore means we won't be able to shift the dial on these, on these matters. So I see there are sort of two roles for us. But then I look at other things that we signed up to as a country. So we signed up to the 17 goals to transform our world as part of um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And actually, you know, if we go back to the basics here, we still have people in the UK in poverty. We still have people in the UK without good educational outcomes. We still have people in the UK without good access to appropriate housing. We still have people who therefore do not have a voice to help shape their lives in the way they need to. So, so we've got to recognise that if we don't tackle those things, ill health will just happen. So, so, so I think we've made the moral case, we've made the economic case. I think now there's, there's, there's a leadership behaviour and frame that we need to work on. I think we also need to recognise that historically, that has not been seen as success for the NHS. Because, of course, in the old days, the NHS was about delivering an NHS service. But I've seen significant change of mindset and a number of leaders in my own system and nationally to really want to get involved in these early interventions. And there are things that already we're seeing across the ICS network, across um, organisations within ICSs about giving people access to employment through things like the apprenticeship le- levy or working through Sure Start programmes. So I think we're, we're starting to, to consider economic um, improvement is built on people being meaningful employment, therefore getting greater economic output. And we are the largest employer in many of our systems with a significant vacancy rate. So I think we have to look at ourselves and say, are we really working in the most effective way to get that done? And I think we need to move away from uh, a thousand flowers blooming in that space and be really clear about how does the NHS work to really get economic regeneration and improvement of a local system? And the people who are best placed to advise us on that is our local authorities, because they're the ones who've been working with local enterprise initiatives for many years. So so I go back to our humility and humbleness is required, I think, in our leadership working across our systems.
0: And I know that one of the things you've been thinking about is the question of people of working age who aren't in work and whether uh, health and care is an important component of that. And you'll know, of course, that, that we at the Confed published a report a few days ago about the the economic value of health and care investment and part a lot of that argument was to do with the fact that we've got what an extra 2 or 300,000 people who've dropped out of the labor market since covid and and we have really really tight labor markets we find it hard to recruit ourselves but health and care is one of the biggest reasons why people of working age aren't in work so that's a very kind of concrete issue with with the potential for 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 very for, for a kind of win-win outcome isn't it
1: yeah, so there's, I mean, so there's, there's a few signature moves that my own system wants to make as part of our strategy going forward. So, um, so, the, so, so we're starting to consider things like, okay, should we? We're really fortunate; we have three really thriving universities in Sussex, um, but we do lose people from once they've graduated from their health and care roles because it's quite expensive to live here. So, so therefore, should we, for example, say things like we will guarantee a role? for everybody who wants to work in Sussex and will find for the first three years accommodation for you at a subsidized level, you know. So so we're thinking that through. Now, that's an idea. Can we pull it off? Well, that requires us working with a number of different sectors that we're not so used to working with. But in many respects, our universities are used to providing accommodation for people. So let's speak to them about how they've done that and try to work that out. So that's one about, you know, the the clinical the uh, those training to get into where we've got significant vacancies in our system. But secondarily to that, then our other signature move needs to be a hyper local employment offer for those who are currently out of work. So so we're thinking of something of should we pick you know eighteen to twenty five and say for example we will offer you a six month role in our NHS above minimum wage. To get some skills, and and should we just be really bold about that, and then we'll, and almost hold a very open sort of marketplace, and we'll just find work for people because we know that that a lot of these people have got have got great skills, they've just not been able to find a role yet in society. So can we do that? Um. So so we haven't yet got that got that completely nailed down, but we're really clear. In Sussex, it will be a, a community resilient strategy based on neighbourhoods, underpinned by workforce, underpinned by data and information. So, so if we're going to say that, we're going to need something pretty bold in that space. But it has to be done with and through the partners, not against them. So, therefore, um, people have already advised me of, "Oh, Adam, that's a great idea, but I would do it this way, not that way." And we have to just be really, really open to hear perspectives of people that are also a struggling with the same problem but have also tackled it and got better results than we have yeah really
0: interesting so so that's this kind of reframing our role and reframing what we mean by health policy within a within a within a locality but then there's the question of the shift in the health service and and i i could describe this as three shifts. One is from incentivizing activity to incentivizing outcomes. The second is from focusing on demand to focusing on need, which is really the kind of health inequalities dimension. Then thirdly, the need ultimately to shift resources upstream out of acute proportionately into community prevention primary. Uh, Now, we've been talking about those kind of shifts for a long time, but they're hard to accomplish. And just this week, I was in Northern Ireland and and Jim Mackey came over, did a really powerful presentation about his work, some really powerful data. But the question I asked him was, was, how do we avoid a kind of contrast between something like his strategy, the elective recovery strategy, which focuses on acute, puts more resources into acute, and in some ways could be seen to be kind of reinforcing the way the health service works? How do we do that? Because we have to do it but at the same time try to actually shift the way the health service works in this kind of way we've been talking about but we haven't achieved i mean that's a really difficult balancing act isn't it Alan?
1: Uh, you've heard me speak about this before matthew but i speak a lot about perspective taking of all of our roles so so first of all you know jim has done a fantastic job trying to get our elective recovery into it, into a much better shape and and let's be really honest with you you know day one issue post post pandemic you know how many people were waiting, and are still waiting today? So, so, so in reality, those people are waiting on a list, and we want to get them seen as quickly as possible. Um, my, I don't see the world in such binary terms, though. I think, I think, as as we look at it, I think we would all accept that the the, the, the leaderships have a job. One of the reasons we have people on those lists is because we haven't intervened upstream. I, I think we recognise that. But they're on they're on the, they they're on the list, and we want to get them seen as quickly as we can. So 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 therefore we've got to balance those two things out. So my take is we need to be open about activity because activity does talk to productivity. Without measuring it, you know, and we only focus on the outcomes. I think that that is. Is a impossible in the current political climate where, you know, there is an accountability of the NHS to government and there is an ask about how productive we're being. So I think, I think we have to find a way of describing the activity piece, linking it to the outcome. So I think um, in my system, for example, we're one of the the most productive systems getting through our elective care list, but we're still um, just below middle of the pack of ICSs about elective care performance because we have a long backlog. But, but as I look at it, I've really come to speak in Jim about Jim. What more can I get done? But we're really getting through the activity and we're looking at our wasteness through outcomes. And in those dialogues, it's been a really healthy debate and challenge. But I think we do get ourselves caught a bit on when we say um, we're going to take resources out of the acute and put them in the community. I just think it just it, it almost sets the system up to have an argument. So so, so so what we're describing in our system and what I'm hearing all across the country is we want to see a clinical transformed model of care where people who do work in hospitals are going to start doing more similar-ish work in the community. So I don't see it so much as a, oh, we're going to take the money from X and move it to Y. I think it's more about where is the activity best going to be done and best going to be held? Linked to that, though, we've got to also challenge ourselves about the digitization agenda. How much are we pushing innovation? So what we're not saying is we're going to take an acute model and put it in the community. So I think the biggest challenge that we have now is galvanising our clinical leaders to be really open to really changing, and you see it all across the country. When I speak to ICS leaders, you see some great things, but we don't do it as a as a natural course of action. It relies on um, on leaders being quite brave to really push the envelope. And I think the next five years should be about really challenging ourselves about how we how we organise ourselves clinically. I feel able to say that as a clinician because I still look at my own profession and go, I think that, that, that physiotherapy could work really, really differently. But it needs all the professions to come together and go, right, what is now a forward-looking clinical model of care in a resilient community? And of course, hospitals exist. We will always need them. But do we need everything happening in hospitals the way it happens now? Most definitely not.
0: Well, I'm really glad, Adam, that you talked about leadership because I, I just want a moment on that before we do talk about winter. And, and you know, I, I think it is essential that ICSs uh, do offer a different kind of, of public sector uh, leadership. And I, I, I don't think we should underestimate how challenging that is. So, you know, we at the Confederate have just launched a, a really ambitious and quite kind of left field leadership development uh, program for for ICS leaders. And that's kind of based on this idea that we do need a different kind of leadership. But what I find interesting is I talk to ICS leaders about this and and they completely get it. They recognize ICSs have to be enabling, facilitative, problem-solving, value-adding, not kind of bureaucratic. Um, but, But yet, when I ask leaders how do they try to make change happen, it is quite interesting how quickly we revert to the language of control, regulation, and command. So there's something really challenging, important, but also exciting about how do we understand how leaders lead in a complex environment where it's not about exercising control which is the how we all you know when we we're anxious as leaders I'm a leader you know you revert to to trying to exercise control but how do we achieve change in a complex risky environment without reverting to those kind of traditional models of control
1: so so I think it's really important um as a leader I look at my like leadership toolbox and I have to choose which, which implement to use, depending on the situation. Um, I naturally fall to a collaborative style these days. I wasn't always that way. When I was first developing as a leader, you know, I had a view of it that was sort of a little bit like, OK, I'm in charge and here's how we do stuff. And, you know, there were some great things we managed to achieve doing that, but some things I didn't achieve as well as I could and and I learned very early on in my leadership journey that um, that first of all, no matter who you're dealing with, um, at whatever level in an organizational system, uh, people need to feel that they, that they that you think they matter, and you need to genuinely think they matter, and they need to feel heard. And that's whomever you're dealing with. So 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 I think therefore um we have been at times I think at the NHS quite insular in how we look at things and, and what, I, what I've learned is going out and listening to what it is like to be a director of children's services in 2022, what it is like to be a head teacher in 2022, what it's like to be you know dealing with housing issues at a district and borough level in Worthing in 2022 is an important thing to keep doing. Because we all take um, views of things, we all try to have have long-held beliefs about things, and just enabling yourself to keep seeing the perspective of others is really, really important. But of course, you then got to find a way of corralling everyone together around, around a, a vision. Um, I find that increasingly easier when you know people well. So there is a relational part to this job that I find, and that is really, really key. Um, Some people say to me, well, well, why do I find it easy? I don't think I find it easy, but I find it easier the longer I've been here. So I've been in Sussex for six years, so there's a longevity of relationships that just get tested at times that you build from. So so I think we have to recognise that all systems need time for those relationships to build. Need time to take perspective, but then they have to be quite bold on a vision that people can get around. So we, so, so we started in our, in our in our in our patch about communities, and actually what we landed on resilient communities because the resilient word meant so much to our partners, and it meant that they could therefore bring more of their of their assets to bear to respond to that. So, so, so that's one part of the of the leadership tool. But there are days where also I have to say to some of my NHS colleagues, I'm looking at the productivity numbers, I'm looking at your performance, I'm looking at the quality indicators. Can we please have a conversation about that? But but I think that's not about that's about recognizing I have a statutory role leading the ICB, but there's a way you do that, I think, which is to try to enable to hear but also be clear of your expectations. But my but my overriding view is, is if you do that with the way of treating people well, treat them as you would expect to be treated, it doesn't mean you can't have a difficult conversation or convey a difficult message. But But my learning as a leader is, you've got to be able to convey a message where people can hear it and do something about it. And therefore, you knowing the individual you're dealing with and therefore tailoring it so that they can hear it so they can do something about it is the most important thing because them doing something about it means it improves the outcomes for our patients so so that's that that's as i look at it but i don't but i do see there are times for different conversations different tone different style depending on the problem um but i think we all as leaders need to make sure we've got a rounded toolbox um so that we're able to use different kind of um a different wrench or spanner or screwdriver, depending on the situation.
0: It's absolutely fascinating, Adam. Now, look, I could talk with you for hours, but you've got to go off to a, a, a meeting really soon. So on winter, we haven't got much time left to talk about winter. But but just tell me, I know you've speak, spoken to other ICS leaders about, about winter, Tell me how you're seeing, Winter, and tell me, Adam, what do you see as being the critical things that ICSs need to focus on if we're going to get through the next few months, minimising patient risk and harm?
1: So first of all, it's really important that ICSs are value-adding to those who are delivering care in very, very challenged circumstances. I think it's important also that ICSs work with their organisations to give them what they need if they can give it. So if it's staff, if there, are, if there are resources that people need, I think we've got to be seen to help. So this is not just about holding people to account. This is about getting you know on the ground, helping people to change things. So if your frailty pathways are not right, you need to quickly redesign them with your providers and get them sorted out. If your full service isn't really up to scratch, then then, then it's not about what what does the contract say. It's about, OK, let's let's pull people together to get it right. Um, the third thing I think is really important that, you know, a lot of people are worried about the risk they're carrying. So therefore, hear those concerns and then bring clinical leaders across the spectrum of all organisations and professionals from local government together to have an honest conversation about today, where do we feel the greatest risks are? What risks are we prepared to bear on behalf of each other to give our patients the, the least risky overall outcome on a day-by-day basis? That's not a, a, a monthly thing. There's a battle rhythm for that. So I do think um, that having the winter system coordination centres in place, properly staffed, that can be seen to be value-adding to organisations is really key. And I think, you know... Be high on the challenge, but high on the support um, and, and recognise yourself. As, so I tell all ICS CEOs, recognise your own anxieties, recognise recognize those of your team and manage those because no busy chief executive of a trust, PCM clinical director, community psychiatric, psychiatric nurse needs us to be adding more pressure because we're anxious. Our job is to manage that work well with our regional teams to help to manage what regions and national teams need, but really help to sort of clear the way to let people get on and get delivering.
0: Yeah, and I think we both heard, didn't we, last week, um, Amanda Pritchard's really strong message, which was that as long as systems have developed a kind of common truth about risk, and as long as they base their strategies robustly on data and obviously protecting patients then she'll do what she can at the centre and working with regulators to give systems the space to do what they need to do to manage risk best and i thought that was really powerful when when she said that look adam thanks so much for spending time uh, with us you know and good luck uh, in the weeks and months ahead thank you thanks matthew
1: you've been listening to health on the line from the nhs confederation visit NHSConfed.org for more information about us and to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast.